Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. It is the week of Sunday, June 20th, 2021, and it's also the weekend of Juneteenth and Father's Day and our Pride event. So if you're in town on Saturday, June 19th, we're going to be at North Hollywood Park from 12 to 6 p.m. for San Fernando Valley Pride. Uh, everybody is welcome to join. Wear a mask. We'll have a booth out there. Uh, it'll be a hot one, so bring some water. We'll have water and drinks and fun stuff out there. Uh, this week we are hosting, this coming week, we are hosting our first in-person indoor gathering. That's Friday, June 25th at 7.30 p.m. And we are doing an affirming worship night with Kelly and special guests. Uh, please wear a mask. We'll have uh, all the spacing of chairs and pews and that kind of thing, uh, but it'll be a great night to gather as a community and enjoy some music together. And then the next Sunday, June 27th at 10 a.m., we'll be in the community garden for a garden day, and I will post more information on social media about that. And yeah, it's the weekend of Juneteenth and Father's Day. It's also the fourth Sunday after Pentecost, and we are continuing in the Gospel of Mark this week, chapter 4 verse 35 through 41. Late in the day, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. They took him in the boat as he was. Other boats came along and then a huge storm came up. Waves poured into the boat, threatening it to sink. And Jesus was in the stern, head on a pillow, sleeping. And they aroused him saying, teacher, is it nothing to you that we are going down? Awake now. He told the wind to pipe down and to the sea, quiet, settle down. The wind ran out of breath. The sea became as smooth as glass. And Jesus reprimanded the disciples. Why are you such cowards? Don't you have any faith at all? They were in absolute awe, staggered. Who is this anyway? They asked. The wind and sea are at his beck and call. The word of the Lord. All right, we are continuing our conversation in the Gospel of Mark this week as we move from Jesus's parables on the kingdom of God to this well-known story of Jesus calming the storm. And I was thinking this week, you know, how do you talk about this passage in a way that it's it hasn't already been everything hasn't already been said. And particularly in light of what we were talking about at Zoom uh, last week when we were talking about the the kingdom of God parables and we had this really interesting conversation on Zoom about heaven and hell, and particularly hell, and which was not where I was expecting that conversation to go, but I thought it was really interesting and helpful when we're thinking about the Gospels and looking at these big picture questions about the nature of reality. What is God like? And I think if we take that big question into this story, we might find some uh, some really interesting things to talk about. So right off the top, I wanted to just mention that, uh, like for some context in this story, because I was, I was really curious, like what would have been this boat? So they're like on the Sea of Galilee, which is not a, a big sea, like an ocean, like you think of, uh, and they're just going from one side to the other. And they actually found a first century boat uh, near the Sea of Galilee in 1986, which can give us an idea maybe what Jesus and the disciples were actually traveling on as they crossed the sea. Uh, I'll put a photo up on the website, but it's not, it's not a particularly big boat. It's like 27 feet long by seven and a half feet wide. So, I mean, you could 
you could lay down on it, but you could, it's about as, you know, not too much wider than, you know, a few people. So it's like a big, you'll see it on the website. It's like a big rowboat, if you can think about this. So uh, hard to imagine someone just being asleep, like conked out while they're traveling across this lake, essentially. So one of the first questions that comes to mind if we're thinking big picture is like, what is uh, Mark trying to communicate to his first century audience about who Jesus is? What is he trying to communicate, especially coming off the heels of the kingdom of God parables, talking about the mustard seed, talking about the, the, the seed planted in the ground? What is Mark now trying to say about Jesus? And I think it's helpful. I've mentioned uh, a guy named Dr. Bruce Molina before in his commentary on the, the Gospels, and he gives a little bit of insight just for uh, the dynamic between Jesus and the disciples in this story. And he says that the disciples' fear in this context would have been a shameful behavior for Mediterranean males. Most of you know the importance of the honor-shame dynamic in this culture. So, so when Jesus calms the wind and the sea, uh, he says, their question isn't necessarily about Jesus's identity, but his position on this honor-shame scale. Uh, so that kind of shed some interesting light on this dynamic maybe that's going on between, you know, while they're on the boat between the disciples is the position in the first century on this honor-shame scaling system. Uh, but if we consider this story, maybe for us symbolically, like the symbol of the storm is often used in, in scripture to describe uh, chaos or uh, hardship, crisis, and in a couple chapters, Mark will actually have another uh, storm scene. So, so how is Mark thinking about using the storm? Maybe beyond just telling, telling the story, right? Like, he, yeah, he could just be telling the story, but what maybe what is he trying to communicate at a deeper level, maybe symbolically or allegorically? Uh, like many people then start like just point out the obvious connection to the disciples freaking out and then, you know, equating it to, uh, you know, connecting it to Jesus's response about the disciples' lack of faith. And I mean, you even see this in a little bit of uh, Melina's commentary, right? That there's, there's honor and shame going on in this relationship. So how might this information help us think about the way we understand this story in the 21st century. And so many people just connect this lack of faith to something that is today shameful, right? And we, so many Christians have sort of been shamed. It's like, okay, so you don't trust or you don't believe. And they sort of equate uh, someone's faith in their belief. And we talked a little bit about that last Sunday. But if you just take this story for a second at, at face value or just look at what's going on, the disciples are incredibly relatable in this story, and they m might be, just in my mind, 100% correct in the situation. I, they're in a tiny boat, and a storm hits, and water's coming over the side of the boat, about to sink them, and Jesus is asleep. So to, to, to wake him up, to, to, to question him, to, to bug him, I think is incredibly understandable. I, they're going down. He seems to be sleeping on them. So they wake him up. Like, and they, they have this uh, funny line. It's, uh, they say, teacher, is it nothing to you 
that were going down. I mean, that might be the most relatable thing. And if we think about the story allegorically, uh, the nature of reality, uh, us in our faith in relation to God, I, th- I can really relate to that. I mean, we, we all have moments. That might be the most human prayer ever. Uh, is it nothing to you, God, that we're in this situation? Fill in the blank. Uh, and here they are in this incredibly relatable position uh, in a crisis, in a storm. And they're like, is it nothing to you that we're going down? And then so many people uh, equate this questioning to, to their apparent lack of faith. And even though we talked a little bit about last week, it, I mean, it seems like the lack of faith is substituted with the assumption that humans or Christians should never have any doubts or be concerned about anything. But I think to, to doubt, to be concerned, uh, to be in the position of the disciples, you know, saying to Jesus, is there nothing, is it nothing to you that we're going down, is to care deeply. And I think it's important that uh, as humans and as Christians that we affirm doubt as a critical aspect of the human experience and, and even the healthy process of faith. Uh, someone from Mission Hills posted a few weeks ago uh, at a mega church, and I looked on this church's Instagram and the sermon series, or the sermon title for the day, whatever it was, was Canceling Fear. Canceling Fear. I uh, don't think Mission Hills is going to have a sermon series with that title anytime soon. Uh, this is what they were going with, Canceling Fear. And what's really interesting about that title and this story is it's really, it's, it highlights the fear that the disciples have. So it's, it might be an interesting place to to talk about what how fear functions. Uh, for instance, in verse 31, the, the text says literally, they fears a great mega fear. And this word uh, mega, essentially huge, is used a lot in this passage actually. So at, at first reading, we might think that fear is the opposite of faith. Uh, they have this great mega fear, they don't have any faith, and Jesus is saying, why don't you have faith? And it's because they have fear. Uh, so if they had faith, they would not fear. Uh, fear is, like we talked about a little bit on Zoom last week, not the opposite of faith. But what if fear is a healthy and necessary part of their human experience that moves them deeper into relationship with Christ in their world? I think that's a much more interesting question, that we're not trying to cancel fear, but we're trying to, we're trying to look at it and examine it and see, see it in ourselves and see it as something that is actually transformational, that is actually useful for us. I mean, for them to not... <laughs> to not be concerned about sinking would be weird to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm off on that. Maybe I'm wrong, and you can correct me on Sunday. But I think there are so many of these uh, fundamental human questions that involve our healthy doubts, concerns, um, fears. And we talked about hell on Zoom last week, and that is a really great question and has been used uh, destructively in the psyche of so many humans and Christians and has done incredible damage to, um, to Christianity and the, I think, the, the healthy movement of uh, religion and faith. So how might we think better and talk 
with more clarity, talk better than I'm talking right now, with about Jesus's ministry, death, uh, resurrection, uh, at a as sort of a cosmic level. Theologically, maybe asking the question that I think exists in everybody's conscious or unconscious, like, what is God like? Or to say it another way, what is happening in the universe? What has, what or who has brought us all here and where is it all going? Will there be justice in the world? Why is there so much suffering if God is so good? These fundamental human questions have to involve our doubts, fears, longings, concerns. And that, I think, is a healthy process of faith. Um, and hell has often been uh, weaponized and, and used poorly, to say the least, uh, to, to guilt or to shame people, uh, to scare people into a particular idea or understanding of God or understanding of how God works in the world and universe, who's in and who's out, all of that kind of stuff. So we have to take you know, opportunities like this in this short story to ask these, this kind of cosmic question of, okay, what does this story communicate to us about the nature of reality? Jesus's work in the world and who God is. Uh, people will examine this story and say, well, they had fear and they didn't have faith. So the answer is just have more faith. But is that, is that really the whole story? Is that, is that tell us something really good and true about the, who God is and the nature of all things and how we sort of situate our own lives? What, is that, what would that tell us about our questions, our doubts, our concerns, our fears? Can we see fear as a healthy, generative thing? Uh, perhaps this storm story can allow us to consider Jesus's actual response in the chaos of not only this scene, but how we think of the chaos of our world and God's ex existential stake in the world that we live in, and then how that affects our faith as a result. Who is God? Uh, one of James Finley's descriptions of God uh, might be helpful here. He writes, God is the infinity of the unforeseeable. So we know that the unforeseeable is trustworthy because in everything, God is trying to move us into Christ's consciousness. If we are absolutely grounded in the absolute love of God that protects us from nothing, even as it sustains us in all things, then we can face things with courage and tenderness and touch the hurting places in our others and in ourselves with love. Uh, excuse me, I'm going to read that last part again. If we are absolutely grounded in the absolute love of God that protects us from nothing, even as it sustains us in all things, then we can face all things with courage and tenderness and touch the hurting places in others and in ourselves with love. That is a very different understanding of God. One that doesn't uh, reprimand or, or rebuke for apparently fearing something that is very logical to fear. There's a, there's a dynamic here that there is both trust and understanding that there is sustaining and also not protection. There's, a, there's like these paradoxes that exist uh, so that we can face things with courage, not with sort of 
um, false security or uh, certainty, but we have a kind of courage in the unknowing, the unforeseeable, as he says, that gives us a tenderness to go into the hurting places. So, so we're talking about uh, perhaps if we're thinking at a cosmic level, heaven and hell and all that kind of stuff, uh, big questions. Uh, is God a God that is ultimately judging and punishing and reprimanding? Or is God the hum- opening the human experience to face storms with courage and embracing uh, pain so that we can heal? Is God healing or is God harming? And I think so much of Christianity and so much of religion in general has done so much damage. I mean, we just know how much damage Christianity has done. And the vision of God is is one that is um, judging and damning, not loving. Uh, and while there are nuances, so many nuances to speak about this topic, uh, and I'm not doing it justice probably here this morning, uh, I think it's moving us, um, or it's giving us uh, a vision for God that is moving us towards uh, a kind of cosmic liberation. That might be a, a, an overstatement, but let's say cosmic liberation that is not maybe natural for us to understand, uh, or natural for us to sort of uh, embrace in our lives, because our lived experience is stormy. Uh, our collective Human experience is stormy. Uh, Western Christianity and the self-help industry and the megachurches are, are therefore like focused on us overcoming these storms, doubts, fears, right? So it's just like battle to battle to battle. Okay, we're going to cancel fear. We're going to cancel fear. And then you come back to church next week and you're going to cancel fear. <laughs> and, uh, or you just need to like read a new book and, and then maybe that gets you through like a hard time in your life. Okay. And then s- something else happens and you have to, you have to buy another book. Okay. I, I have like doubts or concerns about my career, or my relationships or whatever. I got to get, all right, got to get a new book. Uh, so there's always this vision for how reality works that requires another salve, another pill, another whatever, you know, just to get us through these, these little things. But what if we understand the nature of all things in a different way? Not this sort of like cheesy, uh, we just have to overcome our doubts and fears because um, they're bad and to be a better human, you shouldn't have any doubts, fears, concerns, blah, blah, blah. Uh, instead, what if, we, what, what, what if living uh, deeply in this, this way that Mark is, is sort of teaching us, perhaps through this story, is to, to really embrace the human experience of, um, of the storm, of our fears, doubts, concerns. Maybe the best of the Christian tradition gives us this big vision for God bringing justice, peace, and grace to all, and that the universe is loving, is benevolent, even amid the storm. So uh, I was trying to find ideas, other writers that had, had kind of gone into this, um, this larger perspective when it comes to this story, and I came across uh, a guy named per- Professor David Jacobson, and I think he gets at, at this idea when he writes, 
Uh, Jesus faces down the storm, not with personal bromides, like you have to face your fears, friends, but he silences the storm and rebukes it. Uh, Those two verbs are exorcism words uh, common to the rest of Jesus's kingdom ministry in the first three chapters of Mark. The storm in verse, uh, in this story, is cosmic, demonic, and worthy of Jesus's scaled up efforts. As strange as it sounds, Jesus is not offering therapy for our fears, but an exorcism for a world out of whack. And I think this is really uh, an. In- a, I think this is an interesting way to think about this story, uh, almost as if this is a, a cosmic unveiling of Jesus's interaction with the kingdom of God, or how we think about. Um, you know, an apocalyptic vision for Jesus unveiling uh, the nature of reality while, while uh, recognizing that the human experience in that is much different, is experiencing the storm. And I think that's an idea that I would like to talk about more on Sunday is uh, Jesus doing a kind of uh, cosmic exorcism in this story. Uh, exorcisms perform, uh, performed by Jesus uh, take, a, take a kind of a prominent role in, in the Gospel of Mark. So maybe that's a, a talking point that we can get into on Sunday. Uh, so what is the nature of reality? Um, is God the one bringing these cosmic storms? I've said it many times, but it's one of the most common things that uh, people will say to me if they find out that I'm a pastor, unfortunately, is they their vi- their view of God is one of um, like like a mean Santa or like you know a white guy in the clouds with uh, you know beard and lightning bolts, just bringing cosmic storms, judging humans. Um, if you if you mess up or you step on a crack, like God will is, he's watching. You know he's got this list and he's gonna smite people for doing bad things and he's gonna give good things to people who are doing good things and it's just like this like divine karma or something like that. Um, is that really our vision of God, reality, the universe? I don't I don't think we see that uh, in in the Gospels and I don't think we see that illustrated in Jesus's life. It's much more. Uh, complex and paradoxical, and uh, I think I would, I, I would argue benevolent. Uh, Jesus here in this story is calming the wind and waves uh, with, with the disciples in the boat. I mean, he, he is there in the boat with the disciples calming the wind and waves, and I almost would venture to say because the disciples wake him up to do so. It's, it's their sort of natural process of fear and doubt. Uh, are we really going down? Why is Jesus sleeping on us? Uh, that provokes Jesus to actually calm the storm. Uh, is God a healing God? Um, do we live in such a way, uh, do we find our lives situated, that we live in such a way that reflects this kind of what James Finley calls uh, you know, c- courage and tenderness. Uh, we talked a little bit on Zoom last week, uh, a kind of resilient hope as opposed to uh, standoffish optimism. What faith could be more cosmic and universal than to have this dynamic relationship of both doubt and trust, right? It's this dynamic, paradoxical understanding that God protects us in nothing and sustains us in everything. 
while we're living in storms. Not so that we can just sort of like face our fears and cancel fear, but one that actually embraces our hurt, our pain, uh, the injustices in our world, and generates healing both for us, others, the planet. Okay, I'll wrap this up. So we are here like the disciples in our mega fears, our huge fears, our doubts, uh, praying our prayers of desperation. Yeah, that's, let's, let's affirm that. Yes. Let's not say, oh, so we just got to get more, we just got to get more faith. No, we are here praying our prayers of desperation. Christ, are you, are you really going to sleep on us? We're living in mass inequity, anxiety, oppression, climate degradation. These questions are good, human, and I would venture to say sacred because they move us to action, to perhaps what is really good and true about our universe and God's existential stake in each moment by moment in everybody's situation, that God is infused in everything, that God is here and now in the boat with us. So this understanding of God, that God is not somewhere off in some distant land, (laughs) realm, uh, ready to just smite people for doing wrong things, but God's moment by moment unveiling, revealing God's self in the midst of all of these storms, uh, healing what needs to be healed, um, being uh, awoken to what God is waking up to, moving this towards greater healing and liberation. Okay, that's a lot of random thoughts for this Sunday. Uh, I hope some of that made sense or will lead us to some interesting conversation for this week. I'm going to close this week by a reading from Father Daniel Berrigan. It is not true that creation and the human family are doomed to destruction and loss. This is true, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And it's not true that we must accept inhumanity and discrimination, hunger and poverty, death and destruction. This is true. I have come that they would have life and have it to the fullest. It's not true that violence and hatred should have the last word and that war and destruction will rule forever. This is true, that unto us a child was born, unto us a son is given, and the government should be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Prince of Peace. It is not true that we are simply victims of the powers of evil who seek to rule the world. It is true that to me is given authority on heaven and earth, and I am with you even until the end of the age. It is not true that we have to wait for those who are specially gifted, who are prophets of the church, before we can become peacemakers. This is true, that I will pour my spirit on everybody. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see see visions. Your old men will have dreams. It is not true that our hopes for liberation of humankind, of justice, of human dignity, of peace are not meant for this earth and this history. It is true, the hour comes and it is now, that true worshipers will worship God 
in spirit and truth. So let us see visions of love, peace, and justice. Let us affirm with humility, with joy, with faith, with courage, that Jesus Christ is the life of our world. And as always, as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Be well. 